Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the joint meeting of the Multnomah County Board of Commissioners and the Portland City Council. Audience members, I want to start by asking you to please silence your electronic devices. I would also like to remind um, people that in addition to the audience in this room, we also have people watching and listening online. So please consider your language and comments and testimony today. Today's meeting is a hybrid board meeting. Some presenters and guests will appear in person and some will appear virtually. For those presenting virtually, please mute your mic when not speaking. When presenting, make sure to unmute your mic and turn on your camera. And for all presenters, please state your name for the record before speaking or responding to questions. Um, I want to welcome everyone to the second joint session of the Multnomah County Board of Commissioners and the City of Portland City Council. Um, just before we delve into the material, I want to orient um, folks for a couple of logistical items. So restrooms are through the back doorway and down the hallway to the left. Um, to make sure that we have time for all of um, the discussion we want to have and for questions, I'm going to ask that each of us hold questions and comments until the ends of um, the three different presentations we're going to have so we can have a, a robust, cohesive conversation. And all of today's preventers are going to stay in the room and they will be prepared to respond to our uh, questions and comment period during the last hour of today's session. So um, folks will be here. And then when you do have questions or comments, I ask that you um, speak into a microphone. So if you don't have one directly in front of you, share with your neighbor. Um, and we'll make sure that everyone is um, able to, uh, to be heard and to get their questions asked. Um, so I have to say I'm so glad to have all of us um, back together at this dais to receive um, this really pertinent um, briefings and information um, and to have a chance to discuss our approach to extending the intergovernmental agreement between the city and the county around the core work of the Joint Office of Homeless Services, which includes homelessness prevention, shelter operations, outreach, and housing placements. I'm glad to be joined by each of you today to consider a comprehensive approach to addressing homelessness that is co-created and will be co-led by our two governments. Our IGA is, is set to expire in six months, and we've been working intensely to develop this approach and a new way forward for our partners and our community. Most importantly, the framework today allows us to dramatically expand our coordination of, homelessness, of the homelessness responses across our respective departments and bureaus and get us aligned in dealing with the crisis people are experiencing on our streets. The Joint Office of Homeless Services was founded nearly eight years ago with the laudable goal of standing up a more holistic system and breaking down inefficiencies in the silos of this longstanding partnership. But the Joint Office's authority didn't extend to key areas needed to address homelessness, like the production of affordable housing and the need for behavioral health services. Without these key partnerships, the Joint Office was left to solve problems it sometimes didn't have the right tools for. And the partnership between the city and the county needed to have a joint and coordinated response to addressing homelessness that was not in place. So what was a fractured and siloed system has remained that way despite the good intention and strategic visions of many. But today we are taking a huge step forward together to change that. Our proposal turns the page on a relationship that has been fraught with misunderstanding and mistrust, and worst of all, a system that is not as effective as it can be, and it moves us towards a genuine partnership rooted in collaboration and cooperation. Building the trust to get to this point has been key, and that has been taken a lot of time and effort. I want to take a moment 
to speak to the time and effort and to thank the many people who have given countless hours to this project over the past many months. I wanna thank each of you who are up here at the dais with me today. You have brought leadership, investigation, passion, and commitment to our work to stand up a homelessness response and to consider what's next in our efforts to make our system stronger. And you've done that during a time when you've all had many competing priorities. I wanna thank you for this time and effort and for all the work that I know you will help um, put into moving this work forward from here. I wanna thank Multnomah County COO Serena Cruz and her staff, my Chief of Staff Chris Fick, my Senior Policy Advisor on Housing and Homelessness, Stacey Bork, for being at the table through dozens of meetings and many hours of thoughtful questions and negotiating. I want to thank my entire staff, each of whom has supported me and each other and these efforts. I also want to thank you, Mayor Wheeler, and your entire team, especially your Chief of Staff, Bobby Lee, Deputy Chief Sarah Morrissey, and Senior Policy Advisor, Sky Brocker-Knapp, for all of your commitment, how hard work, um, and really continued efforts on this. And many, many thanks to our Joint Office Director, Dan Field, and his entire team, especially um, Deputy Director Anna Plum and all of the staff at the Joint Office who have been on um, a part of this journey every step of the way. I also know that this is not um, work that has just been isolated to one department. I wanna thank the many other department directors and staff throughout Multnomah County whose work will be connected to moving this approach forward. And lastly, I do wanna thank Governor Kotek for her strong support for this plan. Um, she is going, we are gonna be hearing from her through a video a little bit later, and she has been an important partner over the past many months as we work collaboratively, collaboratively to think about and address the crisis on our streets. I really appreciate that as a governments of overlapping jurisdictions, we share several goals. A commitment to working together, putting aside disagreements, and not getting stuck in the past in a way that prevents us from forging ahead. At the heart of these new agreements is the establishment of a homelessness response system that includes joint goal making, strategy formation, and oversight over larger systems of care. And there are three keys to effectively creating and implementing this response system. First, key performance metrics to assess the work of the Joint Office of Homeless Services. This includes identifying a base number of people, a baseline number of people experiencing unsheltered homelessness as of January 2024. It also includes refining our data collection and data management systems to provide quarterly reports on our goals and make sure all of our providers are contributing to our data system so we can establish and maintain daily shelter availability. Second, we are setting bold goals of achieving new and attainable measurable outcomes. These goals include a 50% reduction in our January 2024 baseline of those living unsheltered by December 31st, 2025. It includes reducing racial disparities in our homeless population by targeting populations disproportionately experiencing homelessness. And it includes better coordination within our systems to move people from shelter into housing, increasing exits from shelter to housing by 15%. And lastly, it makes sure that 75% of people housed in permanent supportive housing retain their housing 24 months after placement. Third, we're using a multifaceted, multi, multi, okay, I'll say that right, multifaceted coordinated approach that makes homelessness the priority it must be across the systems of jurisdictions, providers, and programs. 
because the impacts of homelessness are felt across many areas of our work, from unsanctioned encampment, encampments to our first responders, to the healthcare system, to our justice system. And we need coordination across all of these areas. This approach will do that for the first time. This homelessness response system will include a focus on unsheltered homelessness, health and recovery, supportive and affordable housing, and crisis response. Oops. Part of our time today will be spent on getting a more detailed briefing of the specifics. But before that, we will get a brief investment and financial update on the Joint Office. And we'll be briefed again with an update on the thinking that we did together at our last joint work session around the work with HMA and the shelter strategy that they're helping us put together. I'm now pleased to turn the mic over to Mayor Wheeler for his remarks, and then we'll play a quick video for the governor and start our first briefing. Very good, well, thank you, uh, Chair Vega-Peterson. Thank you, everybody, for being here. It's actually great to be here with so many folks from the county staff, from the city staff, a lot of people working very, very hard to address the issue of homelessness in our community. And I, I just, while I have most of you in one room at one time, I just wanna thank you. My colleagues and I are very, very happy to be here today with the Board of County Commissioners. Today we're holding a critical discussion on the future of how the city of Portland and Multnomah County work together more collaboratively to address homelessness. We're going to receive an update on the financial summary as well as the good work that the shelter strategy work group has been completed, and I certainly look forward to that update. The draft intergovernmental agreement referred to by the chair developed through the hard work of many at the city and the county marks an opportunity for a new beginning. We all have a stake in today's discussion and I know we all recognize how critical it is for us to focus on the crisis that's currently unfolding on our streets. In September, we all collectively met right here in the county boardroom to hear HMA's evaluation of the Joint Office of Homeless Services. This evaluation reviewed the Joint Office's current operations as well as the outcomes and developed specific recommendations and action plans based on best practices and effective models from around the country. This report, I believe, helped us set a baseline of understanding between both the city and the county. At that meeting, I called for us to take this opportunity to connect all of our resources to create a true continuum of care that prioritizes those living on our streets, the most vulnerable in our community. I stated then that the HMA report and the actions that followed would be critical to upcoming discussions regarding the future of the Joint Office Intergovernmental Agreement. Since September, through dozens of meetings between members of the Board of County Commissioners, members of the City Council, between the Chair, myself, many of the great staffers who are present here today, a new term sheet to guide the development of a new IGA has been developed and everybody here has had the opportunity to see that. I'm happy to say that from my perspective, the expectations that I laid out in September have been fully addressed. The new IGA on Shared City and County Homelessness Response System 
will establish clear goals with measurable and achievable outcomes. To ensure measurable progress, we will identify a baseline number of people experiencing unsheltered homelessness as of January 2024 using specifically the Built for Zero by name list. Our clear goal is a 50% reduction in the number of people experiencing unsheltered homelessness by December of 2025, a 50% reduction. Furthermore, we're aiming to increase exits from shelter to permanent housing by 15% by the end of 2025. We're also working to ensure that at least 75% of people placed in permanent supportive housing retain their housing for at least 24 months from that placement. This re-envisioned agreement will also feature an improved budget process. The Joint Office will present comprehensive budget proposals to both the county and the city, and there will be improved collaboration at the staff level. We will all see the same information at the same time. Additionally, the Joint Office will now provide a quarterly progress report to the city and to the county, and by extension to the public that we collectively serve. This will ensure that valuable data is up to date and available to those making policy decisions. Finally, there will be a new governance model that ensures equal representation from both the city and the county, that ensures that our entire homeless response system is a truly collaborative and joint effort. Before we start, I want to take a moment to thank my colleagues on the Portland City Council, as well as our colleagues across the river at the county, Chair Vega Peterson, Commissioners Julia Brim Edwards, Jesse Beeson, Lori Stegman, Sharon Myron, and of course, Joint Office Director Dan Field. Through this process, I've spoken to all of you directly, and you have shared a great deal of insight and wisdom and learned experience. This work is integrated into this framework. This is gonna be hard, I know, and there will be pitfalls along the way, but ultimately we will be successful if we work together. Today's revised agreements marks a new beginning and resets the table for how the city of Portland and Multnomah County work together to address homelessness by establishing clear goals with measurable and achievable outcomes. With that, I'll turn it back to the chair. Thank you, Mayor. And now I believe we have the video from the governor. Good afternoon. I wish I could be there. I hear you're having an important conversation about a draft IGA for the joint office. I want to say thank you for the work you're doing and will do on this. I really applaud the work that Mayor Wheeler and Chair Vega-Peterson and their teams have been doing to get to this point. This is really important work. And it's this type of partnership and intergovernmental work that is so essential right now. So thank you for that and uh, look forward to hearing next steps. All right. Thank you. I now invite um, our uh, staff from the Joint Office of Homeless Services up for our first briefing on the Joint Office 
financial summary through October. Yeah. And as a reminder, we're gonna have over here all three presentations and then we'll have time for questions and discussions at the end and staff will stay in the room for those. All right. Take it away. Thank Welcome. you, Chair and Mayor and Commissioners. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here. My name is Dan Field. I'm the Director of the Joint Office of Homeless Services. I use he, him pronouns. Um, and very pleased to be here to build on the, the work that we began on September 21st. Uh, and I believe everybody, but uh, Commissioner Beeson was here for that. And this really represents the start of this phase of our work together. Um, including, as the Mayor mentioned, many hours, many meetings, many discussions. Uh, leading up to this week where we had a, a joint a briefing from uh, Commissioner Ryan on the Safe Rest Villages. Um, and then, of course, yesterday's press conference, which really set the community vision for our work together. Uh, we've heard clearly from you at the joint office that you would like a couple things out of us. Number one, improve collaboration. Number two, rebuild frayed relationships from the leadership level, frankly, to the frontline staff level. And then third, strengthen the performance of the joint office. And what does that look like? To me, that looks like responding to clear goals and objectives, and I think we're setting a terrific tone with the IGA proposal around some metrics. And then second, being completely transparent in our activities and our finances. And we've heard that loud and clear from all commissioners. They want to understand what we're doing, what we're working towards, uh, with a special emphasis on how we're using the frankly large uh, financial resources that our community taxpayers have given to us. So today in that spirit, I want to hand it over to two colleagues. Um, as, as the chair and mayor mentioned, we're going to start with a financial briefing. And this is uh, a singular briefing that you're all getting at the same time. There are no separate briefings anymore, no separate communications. We're here to serve you and by extension, uh, the community uh, with one set of data that you will share in your decision making. Um, and then we'll go uh, to a shelter update from our deputy commissioner and also some invited guests who will talk to you about the strategy work we've been doing again together with uh, your colleagues from the city and the county. Before I hand it over to, to Antoinette Payne, the joint office finance leader, I also want to thank you, each of you individually, as I've talked to you over the preceding couple of months. Um, we're having challenging and hard conversations and that's the way it needs to be if we're going to improve our performance. We're feeling the support. Um, and we're feeling all of you leaning in with us. And I, I wanna acknowledge that on behalf of the approximately 100 joint office staff, many of whom who are here in the audience today um, to listen and respond to your questions and many additional ones who are, are watching online. We are here to serve you. You are also here to help us and we feel that and we appreciate that. And with that uh, in mind, what I'd like to do is introduce Antoinette Payne. Thank you. Good afternoon, Chair Vega-Peterson, Mayor Wheeler, members of the board and council. For the record, my name is Antoinette Payne. My pronouns are she, her, and I am the finance manager for the Joint Office of Homeless Services. Thank you for the opportunity to present our most recent completed financial, which cover the month of October. These financials are reporting on expenditures only, which will provide a snapshot from July 1st through October 31st of our fiscal year. Next slide, please. This slide gives an overview of the joint office FY24 budget by funding source. The five major funding sources are the voter approved supportive housing services measure, the Monoma County, the city of Portland, 
the federal and state and from the American Rescue Plan contribution. This slide illustrates that 70 million unanticipated revenue from the voter approved supportive housing services measure, as well as the identified underspend has increased our overall FY24 budget to 364 million. Next slide, please. The two bars on the far right listed as total, this chart provides a year-over-year -year comparison for quarter one expenditures. The chart illustrates how we have effectively deployed 15 million more of the, of the last, of more over the last fiscal year. Next slide, please. As a reminder here, our total operating budget is $350 million. As a side note, this is different from this 364 million reflected on slide two. This slide does not include contingencies and reserves, which are not a part of our operating budget. Spending in the first quarter of a fiscal year is typically lower because for us and our community-based organizations, we are closing out one fiscal year and opening a new one at the same time. This slide shows that our $50 million spent is about 14% of the budget spent. Because of the unanticipated revenue from the voter approved supporting housing services measure, as well as the identified underspend, the planning required in September and October to expand services left us at a spend of 14%. As I report back to you all at the end of quarter two and quarter three, I anticipate that the joint office will trend towards increasing spending patterns in the coming months. Next slide, please. This graph provides an overview on how the 15 million was spent by funding stream. As I mentioned on slide two, our five major funding streams are the voter approved supportive housing services measure, as well as contributions from Multnomah County, City of Portland, federal and state, as well as the American Rescue Plan. This slide illustrates that four out of our five funding streams are on or close to on track for our annual spend. I previously noted for the voter approved supporting housing services dollars, we are expecting to trend towards an increased spending patterns in the coming months. Next slide, please. This slide has a more detail on how we spent voter approved supportive housing services dollars. We spent about 15 million of our ongoing funding, 2 million of our corrective action plan, but here's what this does not include, at least not yet. Spending from the unanticipated SHS revenue that the board approved. And that just came down to timing. Unlike all the other dollars we're presenting here, those funds were approved essentially at the start of the second quarter of our fiscal year. We will see those dollars show up in our next update. Next slide. This slide provides an overview of how the $50 million was spent by major categories. The key takeaway is 77% or 38 million was spent on contractual services. The majority of it was spent on community-based organization. The remainder of the 12 million or 23% was spent on personnel, internal services, material and supplies, and a cash transfer. Next slide, please. 
This slide shows an overview of how the $50 million was spent by our service area. Of the $50 million spent through October, $46 million, or 92%, went to direct services and support of those direct services. I do want to call out that safety on the streets so far is the highest spending category for direct services. I also want to clarify that the director's office is a catch-all for not just administrative work, but also the infrastructure we need for our data system and research and evaluation work. It encompasses business services, data research and evaluation, equity and inclusion, and human research, which represents 4 million or 8%. Next slide, please. Lastly, our first quarter of the fiscal year highlights shelters that are or about to be serving those in need. These sites reflect the promise of renewed city-county partnership and show we have worked together around funding, contracting, and or housing support services. They include the Safe Rest Village, Sunderland, Temporary Alternative Site 1, the collaboration with the city on temporary site number two and three, and HMA, HMA Shelter Strategy Workgroup. Thank you for the opportunity to present. I will pass it on to our Director Fields and our Deputy Director Anna Plum to give you an update on HMA and the Shelter Strategy Workgroup. Thank you. Just uh, want to emphasize a couple of things. So between now and uh, when we're back here with you again, what will the Joint Office be doing? Uh, under uh, Antoinette's leadership and the rest of the leadership team at the Joint Office, closely monitoring spending month by month. We review uh, monthly financials in detail. We understand that 14% is not uh, a, a third of the year uh, for reasons that Antoinette explained and reasons that are understandable and predictable. That said, we'll continue to monitor spending closely and come back to you to make course uh, corrections and adjustments as necessary. Uh, we'll continue to monitor our outcomes. All of the spending comes with outcomes attached. And part of what we're doing is making sure that we're getting the outcomes that we anticipated when the budget allocations were made. And after Q2 is closed, we'll be able to start reporting back to you on some of those outcomes. So that's the work that's ahead of us. Um, and that we'll dive into detail at the end of Q2 report, which will be uh, at the chair and the mayor's uh, pleasure, I, I'm assuming sometime in early 2024. So with that, let me ask Anna Plum, our deputy director, to update on the shelter strategy work group. Good afternoon, all. Uh, my name is Anna Plum. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the deputy director for the Joint Office of Homeless Services. We do have a slide presentation. We'll just give Marina a second. You can go to the next slide, please. Thank you. So as mentioned, I'm here to give you an update on the community sheltering strategy work that we've been doing with our partners. And we do have some partners who will speak here as well today. Next slide, please. So very brief reminder, as you all know, in September, the same joint commission got a series of findings and recommendations from a consulting group, HMA. One of those recommendations was to create a community-wide shelter strategy. And that strategy was meant to be involve the whole community and to focus on both shelter capacity and pathways to housing. There were two primary goals of this I wanna speak about. The first is that very practical, what are our goals for shelter? and what are our strategies to meet those goals. So that was the very most important, important goal of the recommendation. Next slide, please. 
The second goal was also to practice and demonstrate working together. So working as a community to develop that community strategy. To do this, we founded two groups. The first is a work group, and that work group has been meeting weekly since October. The members of that group are at the top of the slide you can see here. We have folks from Joint Office Program staff and Research and Evaluation staff. We have folks from the City of Portland. It should say the City of Gresham up there as well, I apologize. And we have representatives from service providers across the system. To select our service providers, we put an ask out to all of our providers, and of course we had more interest than we could support in a work group that would be a size that was workable. So to select our providers, the joint office went through a process to make sure we had a representative sample of the folks in our sheltering system. So you can see we have providers from the adult system who provide different types of shelter. We have a provider from the family system, and we have a culturally specific provider in NARA Northwest. NARA Northwest does not provide shelter themselves. They do in-reach services at our shelter site. So they have a very good sense of sheltering and how it works and how it can work better. I want to be transparent. We do not have members on the group from either our youth system or our domestic violence system. That simply had to do with keeping the work group a workable size. When we get to those populations, and I will speak to that shortly, we have experts in the joint office who really know those systems deeply, and they will be participating in giving expertise on those systems, and they will, of course, be partnering with the providers in, the, in those systems as well. That work group is reporting every other week to a steering committee, so big thank yous to City Commissioners Carmen Rubio and Dan Ryan, and County Commissioners Lori Stegman and Julia Brem Edwards for, for serving on that committee. At that committee, Dan and myself are presenting on our progress, giving draft recommendations, and getting feedback from the steering committee that we're taking back to the work group as we refine our strategies. Next slide, please. So what does that actually look like? So we started with a system goal. And what's really exciting, as you'll see on the next slide, the system goal that we worked with aligns with the goals that are now in the draft IGA, IGA statements. So if we have a system goal, and that goal is X, how much of that do we think we want to link to a sheltering strategy? How much can we serve via shelter? And then thinking about, OK, within the vast network of shelter, how can we organize ourselves? So we organized ourselves by population systems. As I alluded to earlier, we actually have four population systems with four different kinds of shelter and sheltering models, an adult system, a family system, a youth system, and a system for domestic violence survivors. We are creating strategies for each of those systems, which will roll up to a larger strategy. So within each system, we're starting by looking at the data. What do we have now? What does shelter look like in that system? And what do we think we need? Not just for further capacity, but what are those services that are going to lead to the ultimate goal, which is people in permanent housing? Once we have that data, we also had a lot of really robust conversations with our providers and our system experts on what else do we think that we need? What services are working well that we can add? And how do we want to add them into what level? So all of that is leading to goals for both shelter capacity and services, and our, those goals will be measurable and numeric. Next slide, please. This is a little bit of a visualization of what I mean. So starting with that overarching system outcome, if our goal is to resolve unsheltered homelessness for 50% of a baseline number by the end of 2025, how much of that is going to be addressed via a sheltering strategy? Our worker group determined that it was reasonable to expect that 25% of that baseline would be served by a sheltering strategy. And to us, that represents that sheltering is one solution to resolve unsheltered homelessness, but it's not the only solution. And there are other aspects of our response system that will provide other pathways to housing for folks. Could be directly into housing, could be treatment, et cetera. 
So once we have that number, we're working on how do we meet that number. The next layer is those shelter outcomes. What kind of beds do we want to add uh, and where and how? Looking at the different population systems and always keeping a, a, a focus on making sure we're also providing culturally specific pro programming so we can keep our focus on reducing the disparities experienced by the people uh, experiencing homelessness in our community. We also wanted to focus on those exits to permanent housing. How can we increase the flow of people from shelter into permanent housing? And that serves two goals. First of all, it's that ultimate goal that people are in housing that is sustainable for them that they can keep. The second is that as they move out of shelter, that bed frees up for someone else who may be entering the system and need that shelter bed. To support those two goals, we also are focusing on service goals. So again, what are the services we need in shelter that support people's safety and support those exits to permanent housing? So we're creating specific measurable goals around the services that will lead to those exits. Those three rows are really the bulk and the meat of what we're doing in the strategy, but I did want to note it was very hard for us to narrow just to aspects of a sheltering system. And so what we're doing is creating one-page strategies for each system, and on those strategies, you will see that we're also flagging the other elements that are really crucial to the success of a sheltering system. We don't have numeric goals around those because we think that will be sort of next steps, right? We're talking about a large system and how do we build to those other goals, but you will see those in the final documents. Next slide, please. So I'd like to welcome up two folks who've been on the work group, our community partners, Tony Bernal from Transition Projects and Andy Goble from All Good Northwest. Andy may not be here. It may just be Tony. <laughs> I am uh, Tony Bernal. I use he, him pronouns, uh, commissioners, uh, mayor, uh, chair. Uh, it is a pleasure to be here today. Um, it seems like for the last several years, uh, we have been going in different directions, city, county, providers, um, while unsheltered homelessness has been increasing rapidly. Um, I think this particular process has been, um, I think, exactly what we needed, as I think we've really seen um, some unprecedented collaboration um, as we've come together to define some really measurable uh, and achievable outcomes. And I think we are, this, this uh, plan is something that I can fully endorse. It's what we need. It will bring some asks to you, we always do, um, but they are important asks um, that will meet, I think, our most pressing need right now. So I wanna thank, uh, particularly Anna Plum, for leading us through this process. It has really, I think, been um, some just remarkable work uh, and uh, very proud to be part of it. Thank you. I'm going to press on, which will keep us on time, so that's great. Um, so next slide, please, Marina. So current status. We started with the adult system, and we are very close to some solid, ambitious, but achievable goals. We should be landing on specific numbers in the next few weeks, and they will have specifics around additional bed capacity by type, as well as goals around the services that we believe will increase those exits to permanent housing. We will then repeat that process for the family, youth, and domestic violence systems. I think those other systems will go more quickly, um, first because we've hit our stride as a work group and we know there's some common needs across the system, and also because those systems are smaller. Next slide. So I would just leave you um, with uh, a statement that this has been a really wonderful process and we're excited to build on this process as we build the vision for the larger homelessness response system. Thank you. 
I could just close with uh, just one quick remark. If you take nothing else away from the discussion today of both our finances and the shelter work group, uh, think about the progress that we've made in just two months since the September 21st meeting that we mentioned. And I want to emphasize to you that the joint office, the joint office staff and leadership were not waiting. We're not waiting for the IGA to be signed. We know the direction that you all have asked us to go and we're moving in that direction. Thus, the shelter strategy work group um, and the work and the progress that you've seen uh, over the last two months. Um, the, the situation on our streets is urgent. So even as we continue to move towards a governance model and a leadership model and finalize metrics that you all sign off on, we are not waiting. We are moving in that direction and we're moving as quickly as the work will allow us. So we appreciate today's discussion, appreciate the chance to provide this update. Welcome your feedback both today and ongoing and uh, we will move to the next agenda item. Thank you all for the presentations, don't go far. Um, and now we have an update on the intergovernmental agreement and we have staff from both the chair and the mayor's office as um, well as staff from the city and county who will be coming up. Who's going to kick it off? That would be me. Uh, for the record, my name is Stacy Bork. I use she and her pronouns. I'm a policy advisor to Chair Vega Peterson. Uh, thank you all for being here. It's really nice to see all of us in this room. Um, so we're gonna walk through, you can go to the next slide, Marina, thank you. We're gonna walk through the IGA, which really what we're talking about is the proposal to create a framework for how we move forward together. The proposed I IGA, the establishment of stronger governance and a homelessness response system has three, key, three primary drivers key performance indicators, bold goals, and a coordinated response that aligns and turns ships in the same direction. Sky's gonna talk through outcomes. Mike's gonna talk through the terms, length, budget, data, reporting, the super juicy stuff. And Serena and I will come back and we'll talk about governance. So thank you so much. All right, thanks, Stacey. Uh, Sky Brockernap, I'm a senior policy advisor for Mayor Wheeler. I've talked to all of you, I think, at this point um, about this two-pager and this framework, so I'm gonna run through it pretty quickly so we can get to questions and comments. Um, but just to start, we are, the foundation for this agreement needs to be data. I think we all agree on that, so we're really excited about the quality data um, coming from the Built for Zero framework, that client-centered approach that really gives us uh, the information on the individual, so what services they've accessed, what services they need, their best pathway into shelter, housing, uh, different treatment options as well. So uh, we're really excited about that foundation that we're setting and based on that baseline number, we're gonna get in January of 2024, uh, we will cut, we're, our goal is to cut uh, unsheltered homelessness by 50% by the end of 2025. So that number currently is about 5,000 folks. Uh, we'll check again in January and based on that number, it'll be 50% of that January 2024 number. All right, uh, next slide please. Thank you. Um, the next section that we talked about was the disproportionately represented populations in our homeless population. So we have different categories that we're gonna focus on making sure that we reduce uh, their disproportionate representation in the homeless population. The fastest growing group of homeless uh, adults is folks over, uh, well, I think over 62, over 50? Well, uh, older adults. <laughs> um, so we're gonna focus on 62 uh, just because of different services that those folks have access to, namely SSI. Um, all right, uh, next slide, please. 
So we're also going to be increasing exits from shelter to permanent housing by 15% by December 2025. Um, I think a lot of folks on, uh, commissioners might understand, but a lot of folks in the public might not understand um, that there are kind of different resources um, and different levels of exits to permanent housing at different shelter services. And so we wanna make sure we're increasing that across the entire system of shelter that's available in our community. So making sure that everybody has access to those resources and is getting that pathway into housing. Um, for example, we know that uh, folks in our congregate shelter system haven't necessarily been as resourced and need a little bit of a boost in terms of the services that are uh, provided on those sites. We wanna make sure we're providing those services across the board. Um, I know the county commissioners saw yesterday a presentation, I think, by um, Commissioner Ryan and his staff about the Safe Rest Villages, which have had a lot of success in getting folks access to housing. So increasing across the board will really um, bump those numbers up of folks who are getting access to uh, permanent housing. And then along with that, we wanna make sure that folks are staying in housing. So folks are not um, going back to unsheltered homelessness after accessing certain services. We wanna make sure that there's case management and the wraparound services needed to actually get folks uh, from the streets into shelter or treatment or housing and that they're staying in that housing. And so we're looking at that retention number. So that's that 75% at least, that's a floor, that we wanna make sure folks are staying in their permanent supportive housing um, after 24 months, so two years of that placement. So we're gonna follow those numbers very closely. Again, that by name list, that built for zero framework will help us um, make sure that we're actually meeting those needs and following that data closely based on those quarterly reports. Thanks. So next slide please now for the juicy stuff. Uh, for the record, my name is Mike Jordan. I'm the CAO for the city of Portland and uh, gonna talk a little bit about some of the aspects of the agreement that we've been discussing. Uh, I would say we haven't dotted every I and crossed every T yet, but these are this is the general direction that our discussions are going. And I guess I wanna say also uh, in preface that I am incredibly encouraged by the discussions at the table. Uh, the people that are wor working this issue are working really hard uh, in good faith, and uh, I'm very encouraged that we're gonna get to an agreement that we'll all be very proud of. So at the beginning, the terms of the agreement, uh, we are working toward a three-year agreement. Uh, we feel that we'll have a lot more time to actually talk about things like budget and performance and investments and programming uh, if we have a longer-term agreement. However, we are interested in making sure that performance is the baseline of the agreement. And so as Sky mentioned, there's gonna be uh, targets for uh, uh, performance and I'll talk a little bit about how those are incorporated into data and budget in just a second. Um, we're also interested in uh, uh, the joint office being able to accommodate service expansion, and we're talking about some of those things, and that uh, at some point we, have, we are looking toward perhaps the joint office being able to take over some of the services that the city has been providing uh, so far and would love uh, based on performance to be able to move those, those things forward. Next slide, please. Uh, so to the budget, um, we uh, certainly uh, want to uh, figure out ways that both entities can collaborate on the budget. Uh, we want to make sure that we know that there are separate budget processes. We wanna make sure that the county uh, joint office is uh, 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 bringing budget presentations to the city council uh, with enough time for them to react and talk and think about them. So 60 days before budget adoption. Um, we know that each, uh, each uh, entity uh, approves its own budget, but 
we are encouraged that already budget staffs are working together uh, in collaboration on a regular basis, and we will have that as part of the agreement also. Um, I wanna just touch on data and reporting, and then I wanna come back to budget for just a second. Um, so you can go to the next slide. Thank you. Um, we, uh, we're already, you already heard that the Joint Office is, is uh, working on quarterly reporting uh, and transparency, uh, making data available to all the entities, including the public. Uh, we're working towards getting all providers to submit data into the same system so that we can track better. Uh, we, and you've heard this also, uh, want to establish a system so that uh, uh, available beds across the system are uh, known in real time to providers so that uh, we can be much more fluid in our ability to get people into shelter and then ultimately into housing, obviously. There already is in works a dashboard that uh, I, I actually saw for the first time today, amazingly enough, and uh, I'm, I am very impressed with the way the data can be cut, the way the financials can be tracked by program, by, uh, by funding stream, uh, and uh, I'm very encouraged about that. So uh, common approaches to gathering data, analyzing data, uh, making it transparent to all the players in the system are goals that we're working towards, and I wanna, I wanna tie that back to budgeting. Um, the outcomes and the metrics that we're looking at adopting um, aren't really worth anything if we don't make decisions based on them. And so we're working towards a discussion about how can leadership and providers come together at least once a year to go over the data and really talk about performance. How are we doing? If we didn't reach a goal, why didn't we reach the goal? And there can be a lot of answers to that why question. But we need to come together in the context of an annual budget process to take stock in what we've done examine cl with clear eyes where we failed, ask the why question, have serious dialogue about what the answer to that why question is, and only then turn forward to about things like adjusting strategies, adjusting investment patterns, looking at externalities that got in our way and how do we mitigate for those things. So we're really encouraging that the data is great, but it's got to be incorporated into a regular way we do business and make decisions about how we get better uh, over time. So that's what I'm here to do, and I'll turn it over to Serena, I think. Stacy. Oh, I'm Thank sorry. you, Mike. Actually, you really, uh, I think, set up the conversation around governance really well because the process that you described is a process of continuous quality improvement that the governance framework that we're gonna walk through really charges us to do, and I really appreciate the way that you that you frame that, so thank you very much. Marina, next slide, please. So the framework for governance that we're gonna walk through uh, covers uh, three committees, a joint, or a steering and oversight committee that's supported by a community advisory committee and an implementation committee. And the implementation committee is is a new facet of this governance of a homelessness response system and a really key factor in being the driver behind delivering on the outcomes and doing that uh, course correcting throughout the year and having greater accountability alongside the community advisory committee to uh, stakeholders, 
electeds, and ultimately our neighbors. Um, so hopefully you see this homelessness response system uh, as an evolution and improvement that doesn't solely rely on the joint office at the center of the wheel, but demands greater accountability, coordination, and engagement across the systems, stakeholders, services, and our neighbors, housed and unhoused. Next slide, please. So we're proposing that the, the governance focused on, focuses on four key areas, unsheltered homelessness, health and recovery, supportive and affordable housing, and crisis response. Next slide, thank you. So the <coughs> Steering and Oversight Committee is the primary oversight committee that will oversee the homelessness response system. It'll be made up of uh, five voting members, which are electeds that are appointed by the chair and the mayor that also include a representative from an East County city, uh, as well as three to four non-voting members, all with the key role of setting direction, overseeing progress, performance, and holding this system accountable. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. Thanks, Stacy. Good afternoon, Chair Vigga-Peterson, Mayor Wheeler, Commissioners. I'm Serena Cruz, the County's Chief Operating Officer. I'm honored to be with you this afternoon to join this group of folks and all of the people that have been working so hard to pull together uh, these negotiations. Um, the work that it's taken to develop both the goals and direction and then the structure that it will take to make this a reality, I think is what makes this effort different from the other uh, times that we've tried. And the implementation committee, like the steering committee, is a unique uh, facet that hasn't existed before. The steering committee really brings in that broad group um, of stakeholders and is setting the guiding direction for where we're going. Um, giving us the key strategies, and then it's our job as the implementation committee to make that a reality. And given the work that you just got to hear uh, presented about the shelter strategy work group, that's what you can, you can expect um, when we have this fully functioning steering committee and implementation committee. And I just am really grateful to you, Anna, for showing us how this work can be done. Um, and it will be done in a very comprehensive, system-wide manner. So as you can see, this, the implementation committee will, to, will drive the goals and strategies and outcomes that the steering committee has identified, will draft the investment plan, uh, and will operationalize it making those key performance indicators of reality and making them available for everyone to have to monitor uh, and be able to do that continuous quality improvement that we all uh, very much want and aspire uh, to see. So I think one of the key pieces, if next slide please, thank you, um, is what kind of a committee is it gonna take to make sure that we can implement the work that is visualized by the steering committee? Um, we see this as an important partnership by the county chief operating officer and the city's chief administrator, uh, and then 
uh, particular city de county departments, the Joint Office, Department of Community Justice, County Human Services, Health and Behavioral Health, as well as from the city, the Housing Bureau, the Community Safety Division. And then from our community, HealthShare, Trillium, Metro, Home Forward, and Schools. So you can see that this really is a system that's visualized and then uh, to implement it, it will take the coordination and uh, the removal of barriers, the, the constant uh, communication and opportunity to turn that into a reality. And um, it's a little bit daunting, but it is also very exciting. Uh, so with that, I'm gonna hand it back to Stacy. Thank you. Can you go to the next slide? Thank you. Uh, so, so rounding out our governance, we're proposing a community advisory committee. And up here you see uh, the advisors with key roles around recommending and reviewing strategies and plans, identifying emerging needs in community and opportunities in front of us, and ensuring there's broad and diverse community voice. What's driving this community advisory committee is people with lived experience and also bringing in the voices of uh, neighbors, people in business, labor, service providers from the homelessness response system, philanthropic partners, crisis response, first responders, housing, and health. And next slide. I just ended that rather abruptly. <laughs> uh, so rounding out the presentation, this is our, our last slide. Um, just just demonstrates the cadence of how these groups come together and the frequency that we expect them to uh, meet and the kind of composition of them in terms of, of quantity and, and what they look like in uh, relationship to each other. So Chair, thank you very much. All right. Thank you all. Um, I mean, no, really, thank you all so much for your work. I know. The four of you plus a few other key people have spent lots and lots of hours in rooms um, talking about this, coming to, to coming to some understandings around the entire IGA, and um, and lots of time with the folks up here, um, getting their input, um, understanding uh, the concerns and priorities, and really um, pulling it all together to get to this point. So I really want to appreciate you and, and everybody who's been engaged in this work. Um, we do have. Now, the next hour really set aside for questions and uh, discussion. Um, I do want to just say we have an hour and we have lots of people up here. Um, so I'm trying, I think we have about like six minutes if everybody takes the full allotment. Um, I think it's about six minutes each. So I just want to um, put that out there so that everybody does have time uh, for questions um, and comments. And uh, the mayor and I will, will keep tabs on everyone. Um, and so we'll start, um, we'll go ahead and start with, um, I can't remember where we started last time. That, okay, well then we'll start with Commissioner Myron. <laughs> and we do have all staff still here for if um, you wanna invite folks up for any questions. Thank you. Um, thank you to all of the presenters here today and to um, the, the staff that worked so hard on these um, major issues facing our community. Um, I know that so much work has gone into this and I really appreciate that. 
Um, I actually learned the reality of the substance of this agreement yesterday afternoon, and I had no idea that a press conference was being held or how the IGA would be framed until sort of after it happened. Um, so I'm still absorbing a lot of this, and I did step off this, the shelter strategy steering committee because um, I felt there were real challenges with the approach that was being taken about these issues. A lot's been said, written, and talked about criticizing the joint office. I'm sure a lot of people are expecting me to say something about uh, how useless this apparatus has been in actually solving homelessness. I think this is actually the subtext of the entire conversation we've been having, so I, I don't need to stand up and say it. But on reflection, I have finally come around to understanding, I think, why all of this is rolling out the way it is. For leadership at both the city and the county, the joint office has been a convenient failure. Its function has been to deflect attention from political leadership on both sides of the river, why we're not doing enough to move the dial on homelessness with the egregious amounts of money that we have. This solves, a, conveniently, a political problem, assigning blame, rather than a functional problem, uh, a functional problem-solving entity that can actually address homelessness. The fact that the life of this body is being extended for three years, conveniently until another election, is not a surprise. The rhetoric we're hearing today is that we built trust, which is great, that we're setting a new beginning, that we're finally holding the joint office accountable, which is why we need more time, that we're gonna have clear goals, achievable, measurable outcomes. And so, it, first of all, the idea that we're finally doing this is unconscionable. We could have and should have been doing this for years. Majorities of our respective boards could have done this. We've been around and we didn't. So um, it's not like suddenly everything's new and great and we're you know, starting afresh. This is seven years into my term. Um, and nothing being said is anything new. There's just different language being used. I hope my colleagues and the public and the press will look deeper because this has so far been what I consider governing by press release. Saying the words that sound good, but when you ask even slightly deeper questions, they're making wildly unrealistic promises using faulty premises. At worst, we're wasting valuable time and egregious, like I said, amounts of money while people are dying on our street. So what is the county's, what has our track record been so far? So housing Multnomah now, the idea was to get 300 people housed directly from the streets. First several months of the year, we housed three. Goalposts were changed with a new goal of 100, and then over a little, a little over a dozen were placed for millions of dollars. Now we're suddenly saying we're going to decrease homelessness by 50% in two years based on what precedent and what evidence. I, I raise this question really because we're saying we're gonna do this and I'm not sure where we're getting this from. There's the numbers are a convenient way to get off the hot seat everyone is facing. They sound good. I know, though, I'm not here to get off the hot seat. I'm here to raise the temperature. And so the, just briefly mentioning the premise on which the numbers are based, that'll be decreased theoretically by 50%. 
built for zero, by nameless, HMIS, we throw these things around as if we have a baseline of the number of people living unsheltered, and we do not. We absolutely do not. This was acknowledged by the county with the failed efforts at housing Multnomah now and getting people living unsheltered from the pit into housing. They were quoted saying, we quote, had unanticipated needs and barriers that made the work more challenging, or quote, many had never engaged with services of any kind before. The list we have is all people who have engaged with services and engaged with county contractors. The people we need to be serving, it's so much bigger than that. The people who don't make it on the list are actually potentially the most vulnerable. So I wanna call that out because we're setting a faulty premise for an unrealistic goal. And so I, I don't know, I guess the agreement we're being presentative with here is it once an admission of failure because we're like, we need to reset and do it different. And also an absurdly unrealistic estimate of potential success. So it's like what we're doing here. I think of the analogy of trying to change the direction of a car that is not moving, that doesn't have wheels or an engine. And what we're doing is like, you can get into the car all you want and turn the wheel and maybe stand around the car and try to shift it. But we need the wheels and the engine before we're doing any of this. And so it, it doesn't make sense to me. We're kicking a very rusty can down the road. And I believe what we're doing is worse than wasting money. We're wasting time. In this room, time is me just measured in our, until our next meeting or our next election, or Thank the time you. we get to go home. Thank I have you, one more Martin. sentence to okay, finish. Okay, go ahead. On the street, time is measured in lives. I'd like to see that tomorrow things are actually better, not that tomorrow we're going to talk about things differently. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Maps. Forward for the most part. Why don't I ask, start out uh, by uh, talking or asking a couple of questions of Mr. Field. Um, so in our financial summary, we saw that uh, we're about a third, third of the way through the year and we spent about 14% of the joint office budget. Can you, can you remind me again, uh, well, number one, how did that happen again? Uh, how do we, why are we in this underspin situation? So sure. So essentially, um, the first quarter, you're ending the previous as well as starting another. Our providers are on that same cycle as well. One of the things that happens is you start the budget year, you make the allocation. There's a lag time before the providers start invoicing for services that were provided the previous months. So we expect that number to go up. We also have a number of uh, one-time large expenses, including, for example, a big payment to the city that the city and the county are in the process of just finalizing. We have other large payments. We're gonna make an organizational health investment through United Way Columbia Willamette, $10 million. Those are all happening in Q2. 
So those will bump us up. So it's a mixture of the lag time at the start of the fiscal year and some timing for a large one-time items. Um, great. Do you have an estimate to um, how much of your budget you're going to get out the door by the end of your fiscal year? We certainly have our target. Um, and I don't know if you want to speak to, we have an SHS target of 75% and we've committed to Metro and those dollars on. And for the rest of the budget, uh, we're targeting 100%. Okay, so actually I don't, so you want to get 75% of which budget out the door and 75 and 100% of, you want to get, so let's maybe refer to that, something like this. So which dollars do we anticipate actually spending all the, yeah, that's helpful. So if you keep that there, if you would, sure. Commissioner, on our far left are the SHS dollars, yeah. and that's where through an IGA agreement with Metro, we've committed to a 75% spend. Okay. The balance may go into reserves um, and, and other uh, holding patterns. The rest represents county general fund, city general fund, state and federal dollars, and for those dollars, we're targeting 100%. Okay. And for those dollars, are, are the, those are the buckets that Antoinette also mentioned that we're relatively on track year to date. It's the SHS dollars, which by the way, have increased dramatically since the start of the fiscal year. It's those dollars that we're behind on. Okay, um, as long as we're on this chart, I see um, for the fiscal year, we're looking at the city is uh, given the joint office $41 million, nine, uh, and $9 million have actually gotten out the door. What have those dollars been spent on? And where, and where will the city's dollars in the end, it sounds like you want to get through all 41 million of it. Uh, where, what do you imagine those dollars? We do want to get to all 41 million of it. And I don't know that we have that level of detail at their time today, but glad to follow up with you on that. Okay, um, that's helpful. And this might be an appropriate moment for me to uh, pivot over and ask a couple of questions of uh, Mr. Jordan. Um, so let's, I appreciate your framing of the joint office IGA specifically within the context uh, um, of um, the budget. Um, um, Mr. Jordan, um, in this IGA, do you anticipate um, um, writing in the specific programs and services that we're gonna be paying for uh, um, with our $41 million? Like, do we know, for example, are we gonna be paying for a sobering center? And we'll just put that in the, uh, um, Put that in the IGA or are we not going to define where these dollars actually go? Commissioner, I believe we are focusing on metrics and governance. We're not going to be making specific annual budget decisions within the context of the IGA. Um, the numerous committees that have been talked about, putting people together to work on those, what I mentioned about actually coming together and having a summit about performance annually and having that set the stage for where we need to invest. Um, you know, we will, we will put people into permanent housing this next year. There's no, no question about that. But we also know that there will be people who will lose permanent housing during that year. And so us getting together and looking at those different dynamics in the system and what are our strategies to meet those and investments to fulfill the strategies is an annualized process. We have got to 
um, incorporate that performance piece into the annualized process for us to be able to determine what budget should be going forward. We are not anticipating putting budget allocations, if you will, into the IGA. Okay. Uh, well, I, I would. I hope that we can have a conversation about this before we get to the IGA renewal. Um, and for anyone who's been paying attention to what I've been saying, I've been, one of the things I've been calling for is to have an IGA that spells out how the city's dollars are going to be spent. Um, and I'll tell you, I, one of my concerns here is I'm not sure if the city and the county are trying to solve for the same problem, uh, which kind of makes sense. You know, the county you, you can think of as being a, an enterprise fundamentally dedicated to public health, and you might think of the city as being an enterprise fundamentally uh, um, dedicated to, per, to providing for public safety, for, for example. Um, let me, and I know you know this well, but like a problem which I need to solve in the budget that uh, um, my colleagues and I are going to be putting together over the next couple of months is, um, is uh, you know, we go out, we intervene in the public space, especially around houselessness. So let's just take houselessness. I think every month um, or every week, let's put it that way, I think we clear about 70 camps. And every week we probably get, people probably gets 13 derelict RVs off the road. And every time I make that intervention, the folks who lived in those camps or live in those RVs need a place to go. Uh, um, and one of my frustrations with our current system is that is not automatically uh, um, accounted for. And one of the things that just strikes me as being really crazy is we spend $41 million a year uh, in partnership with the joint office, and we don't make any provision to make sure that we can fund, do our, we can kind of complete our business processes in terms of just delivering services. So that's one of the things I, um, I really think that we need. You know, I think we've done a great job in terms of setting up some goals, and I think we've done a great job of saying we're committed to doing program evaluation, but we have not defined the model that we are trying to implement yet. And that is... Commissioner Maps, I just want to, you're at sure, time, so I, I just want to be out in 15 seconds. So that is uh, one of the things I'd really like to see. I think this is, uh, looks, this looks like a beautiful cake, but it's only half a cake. Thank you. Commissioner Gonzalez. Uh, inquiry there, just to start, I, I understood, maybe you two should stay. I, this might be for both of you. Uh, um, the, the description of budgetary approval in the new IGA specifies that the city would approve its section of the budget, if I understood that slide correctly. So I just want to build off of Commissioner Maps's inquiry. Let's, let's fast forward next fiscal year. Let's assume for a second that the IGA, the new IJ is in, in place. City setting has $41 million in that budget. By the way, I thought it was 43.5, so we'll reconcile that later, but, uh, but let's just talk about the 41 million. Are, is the city approving in that mechanism the spend of that 41 million? Because the slide I saw, I had understood that the, and maybe we have to go back to it, but in, or maybe we just clarify afterwards, but it did describe some specific budgetary authority for the city with respect to its section of the budget. And I wasn't sure what its section of the budget means other than the 41 million that it sends to the joint office. Do you want to about the joint office? You know what I'd love to get to, Commissioner Gonzalez, is not just the 41 million, but where the city and the county are aligned around the entire spend. 
including the SHS dollars, which clearly come to the county, um, come to the joint office and other county departments and get spent that way. So the goal really is to have a line spending and not have the city exert just control over the 41 million and have no say on the balance, which is a much larger number. So that's the goal. I, if I understand the chair and the mayor's vision, the goal is to have us align around the entire strategy, which reflects dollars coming in from the state, reflects dollars coming in from, from HUD and the federal government, and of course, the big bucket of SHS dollars that are coming in. I, and I certainly understand the aspiration, and I think that's venerable. I, I just had, I saw the slide you presented on budget authority, and there's a, there's a bullet point on there that talks about the city approval, essentially, of, of its section of the budget and didn't define what that is. And so maybe if you could clarify afterwards, that, that would be helpful to me is exactly what you're intending with that. And I'm going to be, you know, somewhat blunt on this. I mean, one of my critiques of this model is the city's writing a check for 41, again, I thought it was 43.5 million, uh, building off what Commissioner Maps is getting at. The city has, has substantial direct spend outside of that 43.5 million. Portland Street Response, uh, CHAT, which uh, are low acuity medical, that's just within the Portland Fire Department. That's those are direct services to uh, uh, often the unsheltered population. And I get, it, it's a challenge for me to reconcile, you know, the, the dollars that we're sending in the joint office and the separate spend without assurances that that's getting covered. We haven't even directly hit safe rest villages and task sites. You know, it just has a more uh, muddled sort of history this year. So I, that's why it's an important item to me that we just were crystal clear as to what we're saying going forward uh, on that piece. Um, with respect to the articulated goals, would you characterize them as stretch goals or achievable goals? I mean, it, uh, Commissioner Myron certainly raised the question about a 50% reduction by 2025. Um, how would you, uh, you know, self-assess these goals right now? Are these reasonably achievable or are they truly stretch and aspirational or a combination of both? You should probably comment about achievability uh, since I'm not the expert, but I am a bit of an expert on how you should use metrics when it comes to strategy and budget. And the reason I emphasized what I did so much when I was speaking before is that it really doesn't matter what the number is. I mean, certainly within reason it matters, but the number is there to convene around to ask the why question about why you made it or why you didn't. Now, perhaps it's overambitious and you're never going to make it. But the point is we need to incorporate in our regular way of doing business, and this somewhat goes to both of your questions about the city's budget, and that is that if we don't come together regularly as a joint group and talk about all the dynamics of the system, what about the public safety first responder element of the entire system? If we don't come together and actually talk about how we're doing with all of those things and then adjust our strategies and our investment patterns appropriately going forward, uh, I think, Commissioner, you're right in the sense of the city may not know what it's buying if we don't do that. So we're advocating in the context of the IGA that that process be memorialized and that we have to come together and do that in a real way. And it shouldn't just be leadership, beg your pardon, but it should include practitioners who are in the field every day and know why things happen or why they don't happen. 
And until we have that really honest dialogue, we are kind of shooting in the dark with a lot of money. Oh. And, and so that's, I think that's our intent with the IGA to try and solve that problem. No, I, look, I, I am deeply appreciative of the work you all have done in trying to articulate KPIs, shared goals, a, a governance model that's leaning towards those. I mean, I, I actually, I'm appreciative of the work that's been mm -hmm. done there. I, I have this discussion with my own bureaus when, mm -hmm. you know, I look at a strategic plan and we get pie in the sky, you know, aspirational goals and just trying to assess, is this a, is this a stretch goal? Is this aspiration or is this achievable? And, and frankly, from a management and governance perspective, we need both. You need the mm -hmm. goals that we can report back to, you know, our constituents that we strove for that goal, we achieved it or we didn't, uh, but that's an important dialogue and it's important to re-establishing trust with our community. We also need the aspirational goals. So I, I guess that, that would just be a piece of feedback is maybe think about for each of the KPIs, each of the areas to both have achievable mm -hmm. goals and more aspirational ones uh, across the board. I. You know, I think on the governance model, I, I, I do like the direction you all have gone there. Um, I would just submit, I do have always concerns about the capture problem, you know, um, particularly is often described as for-profit entities that lobby the uh, <coughs> Congress and such. In, in this space, we have to think about the service providers. How do we engage with them? How do we involve them in the process, but not, be held captured mm -hmm. by them as elected officials. And so I would just submit, let's think about that as we're you know, articulating those committees uh, inside of uh, implementation operational committee. Again, Portland Fire needs to be at that table. We've got uh, uh, PSR and chat that are very strong, in, strongly involved, very much involved in homelessness there. Um, thank you, Commissioner Greenfield. Yeah, thank you. good, thanks. Uh, Commissioner Beeson. Uh, thank you all uh, for what I can only imagine is an incredible amount of work. Um, a couple of things, I do, uh, it does seem like our, I do have the question about how do our theories of change match up between the city and county? Uh, you know, I, my dad worked for the city and county of Denver and the nice part about having them merged is that you didn't have to ask that question. The, down, the, the downside is you didn't have any fingers to point at uh, across, uh, across rivers. So I guess I am, uh, and I'm super excited that, um, you know, to me this continues a long tradition of uh, the city and the county both investing in the homeless services even before uh, the joint office was started. Uh, I do think it would be helpful to have a theory of change conversation uh, moving uh, forward as we go to implement this. Um, I think, uh, maybe opposite, I don't know if it's opposite the commissioner, but when we, when 80% of our dollars are going out to service providers um, and we don't actively engage them on the implementation side, I think we're missing an opportunity to understand to the, your point about the outcomes, why we might not be meeting some of those outcomes if we've sort of excluded the vast majority of people actually implementing uh, from sitting at that table. Now, I'm not saying they're, they're dominant or but having at least one representative who's steeped in what it actually means uh, and sort of why our first quarter <laughs> spending is, is lower, but from a structural standpoint, I think we're missing an opportunity to have a certain level um, uh, of voice there. Um, and then I also just, I recognize that there is, um, there, is a, there is a tenor right now in our community that uh, seeks 
first to scold before understanding. And so I, I think that this IGA represents a shift in that. Um, and I'm hoping uh, that uh, I get to stick around long enough to see some of its early results. So thank you all for your work. Thank you. I'll go with uh, Commissioner Ryan. Is this the one I'm using? It, it's on, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get a little closer to you. Okay. First of all, thank you, presenters. It's, um, it's great to have you here. Um, when, I was, when I was looking at the IGA that I looked at yesterday, it was, I was the person doing the negotiating with um, Chief of Staff Kelly Torres, and really these are all the things we were asking for for about two years, and there were a lot of blank stares um, on those Zoom meetings. Um, it was like watching paint dry, and nothing moved. Um, and so. There are some of the same people here, but there are some new faces here. And I'm gonna start with you, um, Director Field. You're, you're the new face. And I really appreciate that there's been a different tone and, um, and willingness to work together. And I know last spring, when it was my third attempt to negotiate with some of my colleagues to try to buy some more time, I finally wasn't going to just accept the nothing type approach, but at least put an amendment in place. And I'm happy to say that um, the infrastructure, the skeleton, the architecture of that uh, amendment is seen in this uh, through and through. So of course I'm really happy because when you pass an amendment and then you start to see it actualized and you're in a role like this, it's, it's a win. And so thank you. Uh, we've been asking for such things for a while and uh, Commissioner Myron and I were at those tables trying to bring the conversation about real-time data for, for a long time. And I just want to say that it's never been about anything but getting to the truth. Um, you have to get out of the world of denial and you have to really, you can't recover unless um, that's removed. And so I do think that as two systems, we're in recovery ourselves, just like a lot of the city should be, um, in accepting what we're dealing with right now. And so I think we at least have the architecture in place, but now it'll be really, the proof will be in how we do sub-indicators with the providers. And so my first question is, what type of resources and training will we give to the providers in the first six months of this so that they can go deeper with building those capabilities to doing real-time data? Because it's gotta come from somewhere. So we need some data integrity in terms of the inputs. So what, what does that look like, and do we have the funding for that? And are we offering it to the providers? Let, to me, let me speak specifically point. to uh, the, the data around workforce. We know one of the biggest barriers to this work is, is workforce retention and recruitment. And we have set aside, as I mentioned earlier, $10 million of SHS dollars and asking providers, all of our joint office contracted providers, to spend that uh, to improve organizational health. And we're going to set with them, we're in the process of doing this with United Way right now, very specific uh, recruitment and retention metrics. And we will hold the providers accountable to reporting back that they have improved on their workforce um, retention and recruitment because they have identified in listening sessions with the chair and others, they've identified workforce as one of the barriers to getting the work done. And I realize you weren't asking about that set of metrics, but that's, no, a good, but that, that was but that's an example of where we're setting clear metrics. We'll know if they're met or not and we'll adjust accordingly. 
that, that does matter. I hope that we get to a place where there's enthusiasm to actually get to the bottom line of what, what baselines we need to measure. And each, uh, each nonprofit might have more of a specialty. Let's just start with the fact that we have an addiction crisis uh, and we're dealing with poisonous drugs that we've never seen before. Like everyone is scratching their head in the behavioral health community about how we're dealing with the toxic poisonous drugs that are on our market. And they're so cheap and they're so accessible. And I get when you're in trauma, you medicate and you're gonna medicate with what's cheap and available that's gonna make you feel good. So anyone that has any ounce of understanding of addictions, this isn't shocking. What's surprising is how we're allowing it to just keep happening and what, what we're doing about it. And we're using old strategies from even last decade that don't work anymore with the drugs that we currently have on the market. So we want to make sure that the providers are in those conversations and are actually doing some work that's gonna be really messy. It's going to be failing forward. We're gonna make some mistakes, but by God, we gotta start doing something different. And when I'm at a Safe Rest Village and I find out that there's a lot of wins, you know, we're getting people hooked up to services. There's data even in the first year that we had people that were off the grid so much we didn't have their social security number, we didn't have them in the system, they couldn't get food stamps. They were not being counted as a human being in our country because they've been off the grid so long. And so that's a start. They're, they're having safe rest um, and they're starting to build some trust but how long do we have that onboarding? How long do we have that low barrier? What, what's, what's the theory of change to actually do this hard work to get somebody, uh, to get our organizations to get excited that only two people in the entire village are working a 12-step program? And how can that become more and more the norm and how can that ripple out? Because when I went to a meeting at, and I'll just say the Miracles Recovery Center two weeks ago, a couple of people came up to me, I'm recognizable, so this happens, and they're saying, Commissioner, thanks for speaking on this. I was in a tent for the last uh, 10 years, and I finally got sobered 18 months ago, and that's why I'm housed today. That's why I'm working today. It, it doesn't mean that life is easy, it just means that now they can function. And as long as we have people with dual and triple diagnoses, that's not gonna move the needle. So I just wanna know, like, what are we gonna do that's more courageous than we've done in the past to work with our partners, and if they don't wanna do it, then we have to find new partners that will go into this very challenging space. You know, I'll give you another example that's perhaps more relevant to what you're, you're looking for. We are in the middle of developing some shelter throughput metrics. Um, and those will be more rigorous and more clear than we have developed in the past. And we know that our shelter throughput numbers vary widely from motel to SRV to congregate shelters, and they vary widely across providers. And so the goal is to set a series of metrics uh, through all shelter venues, including SRVs, and start to measure against those and hold provider account providers accountable to that. We have, we have metrics that we've put in for housing placement in the Oregon All-In work we referred to um, earlier today. And that's the first time I think that we've actually been measuring on a week by week, month by month basis, uh, the, the housing placements that providers have committed to and their progress towards those commitments. Thank you so much. I'll end with this. I'm sure my time is up. It's just, I ask all of us to really have the courage to accept the reality of what's taking place on the ground and start to reward ourselves for actually having the courage to try new things and measure it and see what works and what doesn't. And Mike Jordan, I hope that you will all, you and Serena will figure out how to have accountability 
with um, these metrics. So those that aren't um, willing to adapt, adapt and change and get improvement might want to do something else. Thanks. Thank you. Commissioner Berman Edwards. Thank you. And I'm going to start with what he said. <laughs> um, I'm really pleased to be here. Um, at the meeting jointly, I think it's only, the only way we're going to make real progress uh, for our community on this issue is to be meeting, having transparency and accountability, talking through um, the issues that jointly impact both the city and the county. Uh, so I thank the chair and the mayor for calling um, us and convening us again today. Uh, my questions and comments talk um, touch a little bit on the draft IGA and some maybe questions from you and some from um, also the leadership. Um, overall, I support the direction of the city and county IGA work and the specific goals. Uh, there's a couple areas that I just want to highlight, um, just that I have some questions, like maybe clarifying questions. Some of it may be things that I'd like to have embedded in the IGA, um, or just clarify that that would be integrated into our work. Um, the first one is um, somewhat of a minor issue, but it's a governance issue that the makeup of the steering and the oversight committee um, with five elected members, actually three of them are from cities, granted not all from uh, the city of Portland, but it's there's three um, city reps and two county. And um, just from a governance standpoint, I'm, I'll be advocating for the county team that we have a little bit of balance, so I'm not quite sure how we've talked through um, that particular piece of it, but I'd like to have a little bit more oversight and understand that better, um, just because it's not necessarily balanced, although we'll have, um, the county has the majority of the funds coming um, through the county. Uh, the second, uh, the joint body um, by the draft IGAs is getting recipients of quarterly reports. Um, and um, it sounds like the reports would just be sent to us and I would really advocate that they actually be presented to us so that we can have those conversations about whether there needs to be a change in strategy, uh, whether the goals are the right goals, um, whether we're even close to meeting them. Um, but I'm, I'm concerned about just a written report or a memo um, being sent and then us not having those conversations about, you know, are we in agreement on strategy? Do we have the right goal? Should we be making adjustments versus just staying on the same strategy and then pivot, pivoting? So um, I would um, like to have incorporated that um, we're not just sent reports, but that we actually um, have discussions about our, the quarterly reporting. Um, so I don't know. I'm getting a nod from generally, so. So that would be one thing. Then um, also the reporting documents. Um, I would advocate that we convert the percentages in the joint office goals into actual numbers, into real people. Um, I, I want to minimize the likelihood that we mass progress by just using percentages. Um, so I don't know if it's contemplated that we're just going to stick with percentages, but I would ask that we um, use both percentages and actual numbers because that will give us greater transparency whether we're really actually hitting our goals in an immaterial way. Like I appreciate that. Let me respond now. My understanding is we will take that percentage and convert it to a real number in January of 24. Great. Thank you. Um, and then it's not mentioned here, um, but I think this is a really important point. Um, for me in uh, representing Southeast Portland that we have a city county strategy on referrals into um, shelters and housing that's intentionally geographically balanced and is attentive to neighborhoods that have less economic privilege and therefore less of a voice. Um, there are East Portland neighborhoods that are welcoming and hosting shelters 
that are unable to help those who are camping or unsheltered in the immediate vicinity of the shelters. Um, and there's an opaque, um, maybe not, I don't think it's intentional, but an opaque uh, referral system is enabling that. So I'd like to have some sort of commitment in the IGA or in how we do our work that there is sort of an attentiveness or an intentionality about um, the, how we geographically service uh, people in their own neighborhoods so we don't see a big shift around, that we're not just shifting individuals around um, our community. So that, I'd like to have that transparency on that referral somehow in either the IGA or how we um, operate. Um, and I, I'm gonna just, this is a more of a general statement um, that in the IGA I'm um, really pleased to see that we are um, adopting a, a shelter now or acknowledging a shelter now um, strategy. I think too, too often we, we knew, we looked at the absolute number of people on the streets without basic services, without safety, and then um, looked at, you know, are, how are we moving people into housing with, and kind of skipping over this intermediate step. And um, I think this IGA and the conversations very much acknowledge that um, often the, the most positive step we can have somebody take is transition people from um, the streets to shelter and basic services, and that's when they start getting the support and um, other, other services that sets them up to be successful for um, for um, permanent housing. Um, so I, I'm pleased that that shelter strategy is embedded in this IGA going forward. And then my final just statement, but also a question and looking to having something embedded into the agreement is, um, there's not a lengthy or strong history of opening shelters in neighborhoods and accounting for the impacts of these facilities on the, on the surrounding communities. If we're going to end unsanctioned camping and unsheltered homelessness, then we're gonna to need to open more shelters of all types in many neighborhoods. And for that reason, I'd like to see the county and the joint office in the city adopt a much more, more um, stronger, enforceable, and neighborly approach to our siting and operations process. Um, the good neighbor agreements should be enforceable, not just words or lip service, something that neighbors and community members can point to as an example of feeling heard and respected by the joint office. Um, so I don't know quite how we'd incorporate into that into the I IGA work, but I think it's gonna be fundamental for us to be successfully cite um, this. It, it looks like just my off the top of head uh, calculation would be another 2,000 shelter beds, looks like close, I don't know uh, if that's the right number, but that, that's a lot. And those are that, if we're going, I don't think our strategy is a large mass shelters, but um, a smaller size, which means they're gonna be geographically spread out. And I believe in order for us to have them be successful and sustainable, we'll need to have much stronger engagement with our neighborhoods so that they're sustainable and supportable. So I, I would hope that in our IGA, we could somehow incorporate that into the, the work because I think that's what's going to help us actually reach our, our goals. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Rubio.
sorry, Joy, should I lean there? Thank you. Um, I appreciate uh, the product of the collaborative work to date. It feels to me that on data, goal setting, governance and budget coordination, that all of those pieces to me are heading in the right direction. Um, I'm also really pleased that the focus has recalibrated to building a true system of care. I really loved hearing that rather than solely focusing on technical fixes, which maybe is the approach that we've taken in the past. Um, that said, I am also really interested in continuing to dig in a bit deeper and think a little bit more on shelter strategy. Um, and I'm glad that we're doing some of that work in the steering committee. Um, and I'm also recalling the data that was shared with us just last Friday. And following that meeting, I have some questions about shelter performance. And so, so that we as policymakers can understand why are there, there are such large differences, you just touched on this earlier, um, between congregate and other kinds of shelter. Um, and so I'm looking forward to more meetings on this topic to ensure that we can be supportive in our roles in building out a shelter system in the most effective way for people um, that we serve. Um, I'd also like to bring up what might be a larger policy conversation and choice related to two goals in, in what we have been presented today. Um, and bear with me, it's, it's, gonna, it's, it's tangential, but it's connected in, in as much as it connects to um, some of the other goals, such as affordable housing and ensuring that we have housing available. Um, those two goals relate to increasing exits from shelter to permanent housing, and that 75% of people housing in uh, permanent supportive housing, housed in permanent supportive housing, remain um, in that housing for 24 months. Um, very much support these two goals, but there are um, some underlying policy questions um, that would love to get your thoughts on uh, so that we can increase our success in this regard. So just a little bit of background. The Housing Bureau is seeing a pattern of affordable housing developers proposing projects with a high number of PSH, um, permanent supportive housing units, proposed at a single site, either as an integrated PSH project, uh, for example, less than 25% of the units are PSH, or wholly PSH, meaning most of their units, like 75% um, or, or more, um, are PSH. So a lot of the times, uh, the high number of units is a direct response to the requirements from the Joint Office um, Funding Awards, which is then reflected in to our PHB's solicitation. Um, so obviously, it's in the developer's financial interest to include PSH because it adds money uh, to the financial stack um, that they're working hard to put together the project. But what we're concerned about is the projects that we're seeing that are mostly PSH, meaning um, should we revisit the question of how many units of PSH should be in one site? Um, and even within one block, for example. Um, and based on what we saw in a recent solicitation uh, through PHB, there's a very high density of need in some projects. And um, I worry about the long-term success of this approach. So we, want, we would love your expertise here. Um, and we'd like to ask the Joint Office representatives if um, you've given recent thought to this um, policy choice, is which we're calling the density of need. And um, we're looking for some guidance uh, from, from you about is wholly PSH the right approach that we should be aligned around and move forward? Or should we, when we're thinking about these two goals around housing, or, or should it be something um, different, a different approach? Um, and so related to this, um, and I, again, I believe you mentioned it before, either in previous meetings that we've had, um, that the subsidy for PHS is, is pretty low. 
Um, so if we want, and I think we do want it, if we want to see um, higher success rates um, among this population, um, we would just like to know too, should we increase that, that subsidy so that there's more success? Um, so uh, I realize that's a lot and, and just a little bit off of what we're talking about, but would love your initial thoughts on that. And, um, and if it's not today, would love to set up a time where we could have a deeper dive because we feel like it's, we want to be really um, aligned with the county around this and we would love to have one aligned approach, um, ideally for the region. Um, but overall, just um, want to appreciate the partnership with the county um, and the shared commitment to build out a, a better system. Um, and, you know, the public needs us to be very effective together. Um, and criticisms are not, we need to, we need each other right now to be successful, um, both individually and as partners. Um, so I just want to thank you for the work. May, may I respond to that? Mm, you have a minute. Um, <laughs> they all got six. I just want to... Run for office. Yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> no, Don't do it. No. <laughs> I'll take 30 seconds. Um, I'm really excited. We did not plan this, but I'm super excited to hear that. The focus really of the work has been shelter strategy. And uh, the number of conversations and collaboration with, between city and county has been extensive on shelter strategy. What I heard you asking was let's extend that same level and depth of collaboration and integration to PSH. You mentioned two things specifically. What is the mix or concentration of PSH we want across different affordable housing projects? That is absolutely something we'd love to talk to you about. And even if the joint office is thinking about it, I don't think we're thinking about it in collaboration with PHP, and we need to be. Mm -hmm. The other issue was the level of subsidy. That is something we've talked about. We know acuity is rising. We know the subsidies are low. We'd love to explore that with PHP. So that's absolutely, as we continue to build the shelter strategy, we'd love to engage with you around a permanent supportive housing strategy along the lines of the two buckets that you outlined. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That was great. Uh, Commissioner Segman. Thank you, Chair. Thank you so much uh, for this really important briefing. I, I just want to start off by recognizing uh, this is an incredibly monumental moment in time. We have heard from our constituents, the public, that they want our governments to be united on a strategy and a plan. And we all know that we've had challenges doing that. And so I just want to appreciate the staff from both sides. Uh, you all are doing you know, the hard legwork and the negotiations, and to get us to this moment in time is nothing short of remarkable. It may not be perfect, it may not have every single detail that we're asking of you today, but I'm confident that you'll be able to come back and share that information with us. But I just want to recognize uh, we've been considerably far apart, and today that narrative is changing. So I just want to appreciate uh, the chair's staff, city staff. Uh, Dan, you had also mentioned that there'll be an opportunity for us to have, going forward, to have singular briefings so that we're all getting the same information, which I think will be go a long ways because we don't always do that on a regular basis. So if we're all getting the same information, I think that will help us align better as well. I wanted to also thank um, the joint office, uh, 
and the chair for allowing me to participate on the shelter strategy because um, uh, Skylar, thank you. I know in the briefing that we got from City of Portland and Mayor, thank you so much for reaching out uh, and your entire staff for really caring so deeply to make sure that I as an individual commissioner uh, hearing what my concerns were and actually incorporating them into this agreement. So I really appreciate that. Uh, but you know, being part of that shelter strategy is going to feed up into the work, hopefully, if this IGA is passed. And the work that, that Dan, you and your team have been doing with our East County cities, uh, Gresham, Fairview, Troutdale, Wood Village, East Portland, uh, we are grateful because we have not always felt like we were at that table. But I can tell you honestly today, those cities do feel like they are at the table. So thank you for that. And we are really excited about the uh, Housing Multnomah Now program that will be at Thousand Acres in East County. So when we talk about, uh, I hear concerns about uh, when there are uh, you know, camps that need to be addressed. Yes, how do we get that throughput to those individuals? And that's exactly what's gonna happen at Thousand Acres is that that is the goal, is to immediately get those folks placed uh, either in, in emergency shelter or long-term housing. Um, I did have a couple questions and you can answer later, but uh, I, I will wanna know a little bit more about the benchmarks along the way. So, uh, you know, that's great that we're gonna do something, but is there gonna be a benchmark uh, in a year, so December of 2024? Uh, I don't know if you wanna address that now. Well, the idea is to set targets for all the metrics. And so we're basing the one metric off of the count that comes in annually mm -hmm. in, January. I, I, in January as a baseline. But uh, I, at least I would envision, and, and this to some degree goes to the budgetary question that we talked about earlier, we really need to be monitoring our performance, asking those tough why questions, and then resetting the target for where we need to get, and we know if we're wildly successful, we should be analyzing which strategies are really making us wildly successful and then resetting the new targets. So it's still ambitious, still something we should be striving for. So it's gonna be a long road, but, but this is about incremental performance improvement, setting reasonable targets, uh, adjusting them when we need to, and, and working together more broadly on all the different services that need to be accounted for in the broader strategy, excuse me. Great, thank you. Um, the other thing, and I know, Chair, uh, I think that we're going to get an IT briefing. So I'll be, I guess what I'm concerned about is that we're asking our CBOs and nonprofits to do this reporting. Uh, I, I, I don't know, and maybe they are, but I'm kind of concerned, like, do they have the capacity to start reporting uh, to the Built for Zero? So anyway, I, I'll look forward to getting more information on the IT side, uh, and then, I guess going back to the steering oversight committee, I noticed that you have three to four uh, non-voting members, and I was just kind of curious like what the, the thought or thinking was on that makeup. Um, so it looks like you're gonna have um, you know, chair, mayor, county commissioner, and another, I think, uh, Portland commissioner, but then there are gonna be three to four members that are gonna be non-voting members. I think that's true. So I just didn't, I was just trying to understand that makeup. Uh, that's a great question, our commissioner. I think 
question, Commissioner. Sorry, combine those two. Uh, I think the intention uh, is certainly to have um, the electeds at the table, um, and you know, and and then the non-voting members. I think it's it's jurisdictions that have significant stake in in the work and really bringing the CCO, which I see as one of the primary partners and, and building accountability and holding, holding our CCOs uh, accountable towards the homelessness response strategies. And uh, you know, one of the primary functions of that steering and oversight committee is ensuring budget alignment. And that's the primary role really of, I think the uh, the electeds who sit on that body, but I also think we need um, the other major drivers and community to be walking in lockstep. Okay, thank you. And the last question I have is, what kind of authority will uh, the um, advisory committee have? So I guess I'm like, how, where, uh, when policy, the oversight committee says, okay, we wanna do X, and then does it go back to our individual boards? for the, our boards to vote on whatever that oversight committee is proposing or or not? I think as, as proposed, uh, the role of the oversight uh, committee is to set the strategy and the direction um, and be advised by both the implementation committee and the community advisory committee. And so I don't think that it's the intention of that steering body to be uh, in the day-to-day -day kind of operational business, but ultimately um, the jurisdictions will uh, ultimately, you know, uh, approve their their respective budgets, which okay. I think bring forward the the programming. Okay, that's that's very good. And Commissioner Stegman, that, that is. Yeah, that's all the questions I have. Thank you all. Really appreciate uh, you addressing this humanitarian crisis. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mayor. I, I'll try not to take all of my time. First of all, I just want to level set here and state we're, we're not voting on anything anytime soon. This is the framework for a new IGA. There's been really good feedback today that can be incorporated into the IGA. It will be months before any of us vote on anything with regard to the IGA, but the chair and I just thought it would be helpful for people to see where we are, what we're thinking, what some of the theory behind it was. And uh, now we, we really look for engagement and uh, your thoughtfulness on this. And I, I thought the comments today were really good. Second of all, I just want to stress something. There, there actually have been some successes. And I know everybody who sits up here is traumatized to some degree or another. We've all been screamed at. We've all been threatened. We've all had people come to our homes, slash our tires graffiti our homes, light things on fire, and it's stressful uh, because this is an issue that is very, very important to the community, um, but we don't get to be hurt. We do not have that luxury. We have to solve the problem, and I personally believe having been you know, working on this issue for years is that we, we can't do it independently. The city cannot solve this alone without the county's resources around behavioral health or their expertise as the health authority, or frankly, their access to dollars that we don't have access to, SHS, uh, Medicaid reimbursements, and the like. Um, 
and so I would encourage us to keep going. A uh, good question asked around the goal, and I, I think it is worthwhile for us, uh, Commissioner, I think, Gonzalez, you were the first to raise it. We want realistic goals. We want achievable goals. We don't want to set ourselves up for failure. I believe that goal is possible based on the data set that we are looking at. It's about 2,500, give or take, and that number will move between now and when we actually adopt this. Uh, but to my city colleagues, think about this. Uh, just over the last some number of months, I won't say a specific time, but just between the SRVs and the task sites, we've created about 500 new shelter spaces. The task site, which has only been open for a couple of months, has already served over 300 people. So you don't have to build a shelter for each and every individual who's counted as unsheltered on the street. What you need to do is build fewer, more effective shelter spaces that have case management and access to services to get people off the street and navigated into housing as quickly as possible. And we're already seeing that success uh, at SRV and TAS, and we should continue to leverage and build on those opportunities. Uh, I will remind everybody that there's been a lot of good work. Uh, this, this issue has been around for decades, but it really exploded during COVID. And since that time, we've had executive directives, we've created the Street Services Coordination Center, we've created the Safe Rest Villages. We have created TAS, which included bringing in an outside service provider, one who did not necessarily understand the, uh, with immediacy, the culture or the way, quote, things are done around here, unquote. They came in with a fresh outlook, fresh ideas, innovative and creative solutions. And lo and behold, it has been successful. And now we have a site that has over 180 people living at it that is deemed largely as a very successful model, something that we were all told months ago could not work. And it does. And so we have to be open, as Commissioner Ryan said, and Commissioner Rubio said this too, to go where the data says we should go. We expanded the Portland Street response. Uh, as Commissioner Gonzalez said, we expanded CHAT. We've expanded the Behavioral Health Unit at the City of Portland. And all of those steps have been effective. They have all helped people who are on the streets. With regard to the budget, uh, I want to be clear, the IGA does not specify the budget. The IGA specifies a process by which we get to a budget and agree on it. And I will just selfishly say, I love the way this IGA is currently structured because right now I have to rely on the veracity and my relationship with the chair. And I happen to have a very good relationship with the chair, but I'm not going to be here in 13 months. Somebody else is. And they may not be as nice as I am. Um, so I would like a process that gives the city an actual voice in how we shape the budget going towards homeless services. This does it. From a governance perspective, you have the oversight committee that includes city representatives, as um, Commissioner Julia Brim Edwards unfortunately pointed out, seems to favor cities. I wish you hadn't mentioned that. Um, and of course, we can look, look at all of that, but the, the important thing is they're the decision makers. And that's new, that's different, that is a bold step by the county and the city. It's a new direction for the partnership that frankly I would have loved to have had the benefit of a number of years ago, but I just didn't because we weren't at this point and now we are and, and I think it's fabulous. Uh, somebody, and I'm sorry I didn't write down who it was, said the, the neighborhood agreements 
have to be rock solid. I could not agree with that statement more strongly. If we're going to establish SRBs or task sites or anything else like that in a community, we owe the community that we will manage those sites well, that we will be monitoring what happens. And I, I want to point out that is Urban Alchemy's strength. That is one of the reasons we wanted them to come here to Portland is because they are exceptionally effective in that area and they've done a really good job for us. So I think there's, there's opportunities. Uh, then last but not least, and I'll shut up, Chair, somebody mentioned where are the providers. We have a whole advisory group made up of service providers and practitioners and people with lived experience who will in turn advise that oversight group. And that, that's new, that's different, and I think that's exciting and it's relevant to the work that we're trying to do. So um, we have a lot of work to do. I'm not sugarcoating it, but let's every once in a while stop and breathe and acknowledge that our staffs, not we the elected officials, although a lot of us spend a lot of time on this, our county and city staffs have spent a ton of time and energy putting together strategies, many of which are working. We just need to give guidance and consolidation and focus to the time, the resources and energy that they are putting into it. And this is how we do it, through an IGA like this. Chair, I'll turn it back to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, um, Mayor. Thank you all um, commissioners on both the city and the county for this. I, I find these joint sessions so um, rewarding, so beneficial, and I just, and I, you know, I'm committed to continuing to, to hold these sessions as we move forward. We do have a lot of work in front of us, but I appreciate the mayor, you saying, let's take the moment to really recognize the work that's been done so far, the moment that we're in, um, because I really, I do think it's important, and I have a lot of gratitude for all of the work that, that went in by so many people to get us to this point. Um, a lot of people had a lot of really um, good questions, a lot of good suggestions for things we want to consider as we move this IGA work uh, forward. I know I saw a lot of staff taking a lot of notes, you know, in this, so those are going to be incorporated. I think there will be follow-up. What I'm really um, excited about what, um, you know, we are, about this plan is that, you know, we are focusing on big goals. We are focusing on things that we can work towards um, together and those goals are gonna to lead to the strategies then that we are going to need in order to get there. And Commissioner Ruby, I really appreciate you being very specific about some of the strategies we may need to keep people successfully housed. That's one of the reasons I'm so um, excited about the idea of an implementation committee where we have people, not just from the um, homeless services system, but from the larger homelessness response system that includes housing, that includes healthcare, so that we can have that table of, of um, experts and practitioners who are advising on exactly those kinds of things to make sure what we're building is going to be successful so that we can be reaching the goals that we've set out. Um, so that is just one idea. I, and I also, I have to say, I, I really concur. We, we have a lot of work to do to get people who are currently living unsheltered on the street into safer, more stable situations. That is gonna include additional places for people to be. So we have to be um, working with neighborhoods because we're gonna need those in, in all parts of the city, in all parts of the county. That's why that work was really important to me during the Laurelwood shelter when we were working on that, when that went in um, my district when I was um, the commissioner for District 3. And I think that's that's work that we really have to continue. So um, so I really appreciate the, the points that so many people raised. And I do think we have some good um, information and answers around the budget. I know that as I was coming in in January and we were gearing up for the budget um, conversation, we actually very intentionally tried to be very specific about what city dollars were purchasing. And I think we have some of that information we can share from the last go around. But I think 
um, what this does and what we can commit to for this upcoming budget season is being even in better communication and more transparency as we're working together on these things. So a lot, a lot of good work that's been done, a lot of things to, to build on here. I um, want to appreciate everyone's time, everyone's work. Um, and we are a little bit over, but did pretty good on time. So I appreciate everybody being um, cognizant of that. Um, so it's been a real pleasure. Um, look forward to the work to come and the partnership to come. With that, we are adjourned. <laughs>